Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to be opening it to Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4 will be there in just a moment. Uh, if you're new to Homewood, let me uh, welcome you as well and just say that you picked a great day to be here. A lot of times I get the question, uh, how can I kind of hear about all that's going on in one fell swoop and, and your, your day is today because uh, immediately after service right upstairs in the classroom by the elevator, um, all, some of our ministry team leaders are going to tell you about their ministries, uh, ways that you could, could get involved in those as well. Uh, so if you've not been to Catch the Vision uh, upstairs, would encourage you to do that today. Uh, question for you, what's the shortest speech you've ever heard? Uh, some of you would hope that this sermon would be one of those. Uh, what, what is the shortest speech that you've ever heard? Uh, George Washington's second inaugural address remains the shortest ever delivered at just 135 words. Uh, or maybe Patty Duke, when she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for The Miracle Worker in 1963, her response was to the point, very heartfelt, two words, thank you. Uh, or maybe, uh, since we're talking about practice, the famous speech from Allen Iverson, who said the word practice some 22 times. And uh, we're talking about practice. And uh, he would later say that I couldn't accomplish the things that I've done without practicing. Or lastly, who can forget the great philosopher Taylor Swift, who said, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off. And so, short. And to the point, and uh, because of my voice this morning, that may, may end up being uh, the reality of this sermon as well. Uh, but what we're going to see in Luke chapter 4 is Jesus' shortest sermon, shortest sermon He ever preached. Now it's going to be followed by the longest sermon He ever preached in Luke chapter 6. Uh, and we looked at Matthew's version of that uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, where uh, Jesus is going to talk about, hey, if, if, if you practice these words, you know, it's like building your house on a firm foundation. We just sang that, firm foundation. Uh, but before he gets to Luke chapter 6, uh, he has this, this moment in Luke chapter 4. Uh, so we're going to turn our attention to the doctor, Dr. Luke, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Jesus, catch this, returned to Galilee. Uh, you'll see on the screen a, a short video of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is uh, from my trip, uh, mine and Laney's trip a few years ago. Um, some of us think that it's just a really small little lake. Obviously, you can see it's, it's pretty vast. And so, when we read in Scripture about uh, the disciples, you know, journeying across uh, the Sea of Galilee or a storm coming up on the Sea of Galilee, this, this was a pretty big uh, body of water. It's also uh, was kind of the life center of this Galilee region, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so, uh, in the power of the Spirit. Luke kind of reveals the secret right here. Uh, news about him spread through the whole countryside. And this was before uh, cell phones, this was before uh, TikTok and Snapchat, this was before CNN news and all those. So, so news actually spread through the countryside. I couldn't help but think of that when our student minister Justin Peach was talking about in the announcement video uh, Honduras. And, and my first trip to Honduras. 
uh, when we got there. And we had a, gr a large group, and, and I was tasked with, they said, hey, Brett, uh, we want you to lead uh, a VBS for the children there. And I said, okay. And so I'm thinking, they show me the pavilion where we go, uh, and it looks like about 40 or 50 people could fit in this pavilion. So we start passing out flyers. But what I wasn't anticipating was that news began to spread throughout the countryside. And one of the guys who was there with us counted, uh, we had over 400 children at that VBS, and they all show up and they say, okay, Brett, go. <laughs> and I say, uh, Hola, <laughs> you know, like, and then, you know, but we had a great time. God really showed up and showed out that day. Uh, but this is more, more in, in, in like what it was in, in news spreading. Uh, news, news spreads digitally now. It, it spread mouth to mouth uh, back in the day. And so this, this is, is what it was like. He taught in their synagogues and everyone, everyone praised them. This word for praise, doxalo, where we get the word doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so when we think about this idea of Jesus showing up into the synagogue, he's very popular. He comes into town. The synagogue is full. This is Nazareth, his hometown. Later on, a statement's going to be made. Hey, can anything, can anything come good out of Nazareth? I mean, because up until this point, there's not been anybody of significance. There's not been anybody of stature that has come from Nazareth. And so this question is going to be asked, but Jesus returns to Nazareth. This is his hometown. He shows up, we read, as was his custom on the Sabbath day. Uh, for the Jews, it was on Saturday. Upon the resurrection of Jesus, Christians started worshiping on Sunday because that's the day of the resurrection. And it inaugurates this, this new covenant era, this, this new reality of life to the resurrection of Jesus. But you know what? Jesus went. He didn't complain about going to synagogue. Uh, he didn't complain or post about all the reasons why his synagogue was horrible, or, or that he wished he had a better synagogue, or I'm just going to go try the synagogue down the street. And any of this sounded familiar. Um, no, Jesus went to be with God's people and to hear from God's word. Jesus was humble. He was humble enough to, to sit in what we would today call a small, rinky-dink, rural church. Jesus, in his humility, would go, and he stood up to read. And this was a, a high honor in that day, Jesus standing up to read. And my guess is that the synagogue was packed, and it was, wasn't just because there was a visiting rabbi or a visiting preacher. It's a hometown guy. It's, it's Mary and Joseph's little boy. They've heard about his fame. And what it says is he stood up to read, and their services were, were different than our services are today. They would stand up to read, and then they would sit down to give the sermon. So Jesus stood up to read, and here's what he reads. I want you to please watch this clip from the TV series, The Chosen. This is being shown with permission. All chosen content can be viewed and streamed on the Chosen app. Let's watch. And now for the reading and interpretation, we have with us Jesus Bar Joseph. He was one of my students in Torah class, and we've heard reports, some of them very positive, of his rabbinic journeys. <laughs> Jesus. Thank you, Rabbi Benjamin. Peace. You know, it's not easy to share in front of Nazareth's most preeminent rabbi, but I'll do my best. And I'm certain that uh, if I miss a word or two, one of you at least will 
Speak up, huh? Oh, don't worry. I wonder who it will be. A reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The fulfillment of this scripture, as you have heard it, is today. Shortest sermon ever preached by Jesus. He sits down, he gives the sermon, and that's what he says. Luke 4, verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Let's continue watching. Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. the law of Moses. the law of Moses whose life and words you have spat upon today. Your sentence is death.
I've always interpreted that passage and thought in my mind that, that Jesus slipped through the crowd like a ghost of sorts. The more that I reflect on this scripture, uh, the more that I think the interpretation that we just viewed uh, may be more accurate. Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and here, here's what we see. The context is that he's pulling from is, is Isaiah 61, but there's a larger context. The context of Isaiah 40 through chapter 66, the context that he's pulling from, this big idea of the suffering servant, that God the Father would send God the Son into human history as the servant who suffers. The one who would be portrayed and to be put to death and suffer and die and rise again in our place as our Savior. So catch this, he found the place where it is written. I'm reminded that, that Jesus put in his hours. Uh, there's, there's a book uh, that came out several years ago, not, uh, it's not a Christian book, it's called Outliers, and uh, the author did this research on, okay, what, what does it take to be world class at something? And so he, he discovered uh, through his research that it, was, it, it takes about 10,000 hours of practice in order to become a world class at something, whether it be uh, fields of medicine, sports, entertainment, musicians, and he comes up with this equivalent of the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, so I was doing the math, and you know, if I, if I study about 500 hours a year, and I've been preaching for 12 years, uh, that's 6,000 hours. So in about eight years, y'all are going to have a decent preacher. It's coming. Just, just hold, hold on. It's coming. But Jesus put in his hours. He grew in wisdom and stature. His years of silent preparation, his life of prayer leading up to his baptism, the confirmation of his vocation, and then it's testing in the wilderness. I believe it's one of the reasons that he waited until age 30 to start his ministry. Yes, it was customary in the day, but also believe that it was representative of our need to grow. Are you putting in your hours? Are you in the Word? Are you participating in our 40 days of prayer? Are you practicing the kingdom by getting to know the king. But more importantly, what Jesus does in Luke 4, I believe, is that Jesus declares his mission. He declares his mission. Uh, yesterday, I had the honor of watching my brother, Colonel Travis Walters, uh, be promoted to the commander of the 147th Wing at Elliting Field in, in Houston, Texas. And as of about 10.30 a.m. yesterday, uh, he assumed command of the 1,147 men and women who call that base home. Uh, it's, it's so new that uh, Wikipedia hasn't even updated it yet. Um, that's how new it is. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is, this is the guy who got us lost driving us to our grandmother's house when he was 16 years old. And now he's leading our country, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I was super proud of my brother, I have a deep respect for him. And one of the things that I was uh, most impressed with yesterday as I was watching the ceremony was uh, just his intentionality of declaring uh, the mission for those under his care. Uh, he declared his, his willingness through blood, sweat, and tears to, to become a servant leader. Now, I want to be very clear, any parallel of the kingdom of God breaks down, it just does. Uh, so please don't hear me making this neat comparison between my brother's situation and Jesus. 
But what I, I want us to, to catch in Luke 4 is how Jesus declares His mission within the kingdom of God. And only He is worthy to declare the mission. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So, I encourage you to, to jot these down. These are some Connect Group questions. You can find our Connect Group questions out by the communion elements every week. And I would encourage you, if you're not in a Connect Group, to, to consider joining and being a part of a small group of folks that are continuing to, to walk alongside each other. But Jesus came to free us from our spiritual poverty, and He came to proclaim good news to the poor. He's offering this same grace and salvation and love of God, forgiveness of sin, and seat in heaven for all. And it doesn't infer here that Jesus is against the, the rich. He has warnings for the rich, and I think we would do well to heed those warnings. Yet I think we have to be careful of going to uh, two uh, theologies that, that come into our midst, a prosperity theology and a poverty theology. Both very popular, both very critical of one another. The prosperity theology says that the more you love God, the more He will give you, that Jesus is basically this get-rich-quick scheme, and Christianity is like a stick, and Jesus is like the pinata, and if you just have enough faith and you whack Him in the middle and stuff will fall out of the sky to make your life easy, Jesus never says that. The opposite of that is poverty theology, which says the less you have, the closer you are to God. That money, wealth, possessions for the Christian is like kryptonite for Superman. And the danger of pursuing either theology is that we base our righteousness on something other than Christ. He wants us to be good stewards, as one of our shepherds, Jeff Taylor, prayed during his time of offering. Whether we have much or little, He wants us to be generous whether we have much or little. He wants us to know that our righteousness is in Him, not in our riches or in our poverty. And it's amazing that in our day we live in a world where you are what you drive, you are what you make. You are what you wear. And Jesus says, I have good news for the poor. I'm here to forgive sin. I'm here to love you and be your God. You don't have riches, but now God is giving Himself to you as the greatest gift of all. That's the good news to the poor, that God is giving Himself to them in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are rich. Verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus came to free us from our prisons. Uh, for some, you are subject to the prison of other people's opinions. You're paralyzed with pleasing other people. For others, it's not the opinion of others. You're subject to the prison of your own inner critic. You are paralyzed with pleasing yourself and getting it all right. So why does Jesus begin to address with this long quotation from Isaiah, and why does He not quote the next part which talks about God's vengeance? So he, he stops. If you, if you go to Isaiah 61 and, and you read where Jesus was quoting from, he, he, he literally stops like right in the middle of a—they didn't have verses back then, but he, right in the middle of a, of a sentence, he stops. And that's why, you know, we saw in the video, people were kind of looking at him kind of weird, like, why did you stop right here? He, he stops. He doesn't talk about God's vengeance. Scholar N.T. Wright says it this way, through this text in Isaiah, 
or though this text in Isaiah goes on to speak of vengeance of, on evildoers, Jesus doesn't quote that bit. Instead, he seems to have drawn on the larger picture in Isaiah and elsewhere, which speaks of Israel being called to be the light of the nations, a theme which Luke has already highlighted in chapter 2. Catch this, the servant Messiah has not come to inflict punishment to the nations, but to bring God's love and mercy to them. And that will be the fulfillment of a central theme in their own scriptures. My friends, Jesus is still able to set the captives free. To set the oppressed free, verse 18, Luke 4. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus here is talking about the dawning of his kingdom, that, that he's a king who does what? He's a king who releases the oppressed. Heaven help us if we get fixated on other things. Heaven help us if we get fixated on this building or fixated on the parking lot or the songs that we like, or the songs that we don't like, or somebody's not doing it the way I want, or taking care of me, or making me happy. Heaven help us if we get more fixated on those things than we do pointing souls to Christ. If we think that this is a social club, then we visit God on Sundays at the club and forget that the Holy Spirit is with us all seven days of the week. Social club members talk about church. Disciples follow Jesus in the red letters. Social club members have a religion about God. Disciples want to know what it means to be connected to God, to abide in Him, as Jesus says in John 15. Social club members confess mistakes. Disciples confess sin. Social club members try to make, get their friends to, to come to church, which is a good thing. But disciples want to talk to their friends wherever they are about what's so compelling about Jesus. Social club members are arrogant and stingy. Disciples are generous and giving. Social club members are consumers. How did you like the service today? What did you think about it? How was it for you? Disciples take risk and try new things for the sake of the kingdom. Social club members do church a la carte. I'll take a little bit from here, I'll take a little bit from there, I'll go to this place, I'll listen to this, I'll do that. Disciples commit to a group of people, come hell or high water. Church without Jesus, we are a really bad version of the Homewood Civic Club. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom so that we could then practice the kingdom. Shortest sermon of all time. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. One of the words that just continually rang out as I was reflecting and studying this passage this week, one of the words that just keep, kept coming back to me was that word today. 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 <laughs> Isn't that amazing that Jesus would say this word, today? The first word of Jesus' shortest sermon is not 
that you give your sins to Jesus someday, you give them to him today. It's not that you commit yourself to regularly gathering with other disciples in the church someday, you commit today. You don't commit yourself to to reading the scriptures someday, you commit today. You don't determine that at some point in your future you will overcome your addiction and your sin and your pride and your slavery and your identity issues related to your sin or sins committed against you. That day is today. And the Bible says if today, this day, you hear his voice, please, for your soul, for your salvation, for your joy, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. I'm going to ask us uh, to pray. And then uh, as as we are praying, I'm going to just give you some space uh, to to reflect on this this calling, this this mission that Jesus lays out in Luke 4, that if we're going to practice the kingdom, we have to understand the mission of Jesus. So let's take a moment. Uh, if you'll bow your hearts, bow your heads, and let's go to God in prayer. Father God, I pray that we would seize today. That there would be a a sense of, of urgency about us, both individually and and communally. That the Holy Spirit would would stir and awaken in us this sense of sanctified discomfort. We want to know you more. We want to be in you more. And so, Holy Spirit, we are confessing sin and unbelief and and laziness, and we're, we're bringing these before you. Father, we lay these at your feet, these things in our own life right now. Father, make us aware, reveal to us, awaken us to our self-imposed prisons. We have picked gods other than you to rule over us. And for some of us, it is idolatry that has oppressed us. So God, I pray that today would be a great day. I pray that today we would love 
Jesus. Even when the things that he sometimes says are uncomfortable. And those who have never met you, I pray today they would begin a whole new life and relationship with you. For those who have met you and have wandered, I pray that, that today is the day that we realign our, our, our eyesight on you, that you came to heal the blind, heal us from our blindness. Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. You can do anything. So we invite you to have your way with us. I'm so thankful that you allow me to serve alongside a church family who has taught me this. And I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to continue to spur one another along, that we would continue to follow the path that is you. That we would be reminded of Jesus' words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. You are amazing, God. And we pray all these things. In Jesus' good name, amen. I'm going to invite the praise team if they'll be making their way up. Uh, if today is the day that you would like to give your life to Christ as Jadarius Cummings did last week and be baptized into him, we'd love to celebrate that with you. If you'd like to just meet with one of our shepherds to pray with them, to ask them to pray for you, uh, there'll be a shepherd down front. There'll also be a Shepherd and his spouse back in this room in the chapel if you would like a more private setting. Today is the day. Let's stand and sing.